0: Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola, and he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank.
1: Welcome to another and a new edition of the Insurgents podcast. As I had said in the last episode,
2: Denzel is in the house today. How you doing, Denzel? Hey, good morning, Insurgents. and Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be back here again in the Insurgents Podcast. Well, it's been a long time,
1: and this, I believe, is episode 7201. And, of course, we hope and we expect all of you to have heard all of those previous episodes. (laughs) I'm joking, folks. I think this is probably 101, 102, probably 102. And we are looking at every reference to the kingdom of God in the Gospels. And I'm not aware of any podcast that has ever done this before. So I do hope that what you have been hearing and what you will hear will throw fresh light on the kingdom of God. And again, this is all supplemental to the book, Insurgents Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. I would say, Denzel, that probably most of the passages on the kingdom of God are found somewhere in that book but not all, and certainly not in chronological order as we're doing. Now we have looked at all the references to the kingdom in the Gospel of Mark, that's where we started, and we have looked at all the references to the kingdom in Q. Now Q means source, and many scholars use Q to refer to the material found in Matthew and Luke, but not in Mark. And beginning today, we're going to look at all the references to the kingdom of God in the gospel of Matthew that we have not yet explored. And what we're really trying to do here is it's not a scholarly commentary on the various interpretations and how they compare and contrast with each other. We're really looking at application and adaptation, the practical. Amen. Of course... We will interpret because that is necessary to apply, but that's not really our focus. So the first passage where the kingdom is mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew that we have not yet seen is in Matthew chapter three. I'm gonna
2: hand it over to you, Denzel. Okay, so Matthew chapter three, beginning at verse one through verse three. Now in those days, John the Baptist appeared preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of the heavens has drawn near. For this is he who was spoken of through Isaiah the prophet, saying, A voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths.
1: All right, well, let's let's talk about this. Uh, It's interesting because the different... The different translations have different wording for John's message. The New King James has the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The New Living Translation has for the kingdom of heaven is near. The message
2: has the kingdom of heaven is here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. In the amplified version, he says, Repent, think differently, change your mind, regretting yourselves for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that's repeat like with the New King James, yeah.
1: Another way this can be translated is the kingdom of heaven is arriving,
2: which Mm -hmm.
1: contains both future and present. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's here, but it's also coming, and of course, it did come in initially when jesus christ entered the stage Mm -hmm. matthew uses the phrase the kingdom of heaven and what he's doing there i think is he's indicating the kingdom of heaven indicates the origin of the kingdom of god it comes from a different realm it comes from the heavenly realm but it's destined to the earth and matthew may have also used it to communicate to his readers that this kingdom isn't ruled by God the Father to the exclusion of Jesus. And so he uses kingdom of heaven very often, but it's a synonym for the kingdom of God. But he's communicating here that Jesus rules as God, as God's Son, and as the Son of Man. It's not simply the kingdom of God, meaning the kingdom of the Father. Now, John the Baptist, and we saw this in the book Insurgents, was the first to declare the gospel of the kingdom and his message was urgent and it was explosive he was in effect saying god's kingdom will be breaking into the earth very soon in fact it's starting to break into it now and the call was to repent from sin and leave the systems of the world Mm. to participate in the kingdom in this coming kingdom The kingdom will be here at any moment, but it's not here to destroy the political order. It's here to bring in a new spiritual order. It doesn't destroy human authorities. It destroys the work of Satan in humans. And Jesus and the kingdom of God cannot be separated. Now, here are a few observations about John. His outward appearance was quite a spectacle, (laughs) The, the way this guy dressed was quite remarkable. But that was a sign, I believe, of what it meant to be part of the kingdom. It was a radical departure from the norm. Mm -hmm. And what John was saying there in the hot desert was essentially the return of God to Zion, which was prophesied in the Old Testament, is taking place right now. So do an (laughs) about-face, Amen. Uh, repent. Let me read Isaiah 42, because this comes into this passage, the voice crying in the wilderness. This is Isaiah 42. Here is my servant, and he's speaking of Jesus there prophetically. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. So John was, was the man whom God called to introduce Jesus to the nation of Israel. Amen. And so Isaiah 42 is saying, Behold my servant. This is John's role. Look at my servant. Look at this one. He will not shout or cry out, speaking of Jesus, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. So John is saying the kingdom is coming. The king is coming. Amen. It's arriving. Make a road straight for him. Make a road for him that is straight. That draws from Isaiah 40. Isaiah chapter 40. I'll read it. The voice of one who calls out, prepare the way of Yahweh in the wilderness. Make a level highway in the desert for our God. Isn't that interesting? He's saying Yahweh, the living God, the God of Israel is coming. Amen. Every valley, this is verse 4 of Isaiah 40, every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven shall be made level, the rough places a plain. So he's in effect saying that this one who's coming, who is God himself, right, is going to bring justice and balance. Yes. And equity. Yes. All right. And then in verse five, Yahweh's glory shall be revealed. That reminds me of John. And we beheld his glory. Yeah and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken it the grass withers the flower fades but the word of our God stands forever behold the Lord Yahweh will come as a mighty one and his arm will rule for him behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him verse 11 he will feed his flock like a shepherd he will gather the lambs in his arm Mm -hmm. and carry them in his bosom he will gently lead those who have their youth that's the backdrop to John exploding with this gospel of the kingdom and Matthew describes him as the one whom the prophet Isaiah was saying the voice crying in the wilderness and that's the whole passage that I read there Mm -hmm. right and so what's fascinating to me about this is that the prophets foretold that after Israel's long exile, the living God would return to earth to bring comfort, deliverance, and rescue. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: John's message is, now is the time. This is what's happening. Get ready. But Israel was not ready. (laughs) Not, Not at all. And today, Brother... Many of God's people are not ready for the insurgents. Amen. And that's exactly what Jesus and John the Baptist were preaching. They were preaching an insurgents.
2: Over to you, Denzel. Before I say, you know, some of the things that I was thinking about, as I was sitting here listening, as you were reading Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 40, the one word I kept hearing a lot is behold. Mm-hmm. You know, behold. Behold. It's repeated like several times. Mm. Behold. You know, one of the things in the insurgents is when we practice and talk about beholding the Lord. Yes. And then even when John the Baptist comes and there's this crowd of people as we see out in the wilderness. You know, when he says, behold, the Lamb of God, he, he mm-hmm. points out Christ, behold. So, so that word behold kind of captured me for mm. for a moment here. Caught, it really catch me off guard, but it, that beholding, it's like, it's like it's setting out in the beginning. He's saying, repent, you know, have a change of mind, turn from the way you're going towards this is the way of the Lord. You know, now I'm hearing that behold. So it's like when I behold him, mm. when I see him mm. and I see his glory. Now I'm back to Isaiah again, but chapter six, when he beheld his glory, yeah. Yeah, he, he, first thing he repents. He, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I'm, so, so when we really behold the Lord, repentance mm. will come naturally. Yes. Amen. That's yeah, a it'll great It will come point. naturally. You know, we really behold him when we see him and he's the standard. It's a great insight and and we
1: are going to come across it later. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll expand it a bit. But there's a huge difference between saying to people, Jesus came and died for your sins. He's the king and the Lord of the world. He's the savior. So forsake all and follow him Mm -hmm. versus look at him, here he is, have eyes to see him. Because in the first scenario, there's obligation, Mm -hmm. there's religious duty, there's um, a conjuring up by one's own effort to try Mm -hmm. to do that which is right. In the second one, you see something that is so beautiful and glorious, I'm speaking of the Lord himself, that it just draws out of you a willingness and a desire to give up and to forsake and to leave behind and to repent. I'm using other words yeah, yeah. <laughs> to describe what John was saying. You know, Pull out of all the systems of the world and give your allegiance to really Yahweh in the flesh. Amen. He has come back. The prophets, what they had foretold is happening right yeah. now all of what israel had waited for their long
2: exile amen amen when i read these verses and talking about the kingdoms of the heavens and uh john i was like uh, i've been waiting for this moment right here because uh i wanted to to bless you frankie v our audience and the body of christ because uh, a dear brother that I've, I've seen you write a lot about, you know, you mentioned a lot, and he went home to be with the Lord a couple years ago, Stephen Kong, and in his book, but we see Jesus mm-hmm. again, beholding. And I think about it, yes. but we see Jesus, and, and he talks about how John is this epic changing vessel. He's he's mm-hmm. introducing, you know, this new dispensation of grace. Into the earth, and so he's out there in the wilderness. He's not in Jerusalem at the temple. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a linen robe on as, as the <laughs> priest went There, he you know he's dressed differently. He's in a different space. He has different clothes. Mm-hmm. He doesn't eat the food that they eat from, from mm-hmm. when they get from the offerings. He locusts and honey. There's so much as you were saying a symbolism in that. I like how Brother Stephen you know brings out how he's this epic changing vessel. this As God begins to bring in this new age, and, and he goes through different people in the Old Testament when God brought in a new age. And what I gather out of that, and really what resonates with me, is that Brother Stephen brings out that. I believe, as Brother Stephen said, that John was an individual bringing in this epic change, and that the Lord's going to do that corporately now as he says and so he's looking for that corporate epic changing vessel as we were at the deeper christian life network conference this summer and even before coming down and as i would look at the room i would i would say to myself you know lord that that corporate maybe this is the seed right here the preparation even in this podcast of uh the characteristics and and that corporate to usher in, to make straightway the path of the Lord, to demonstrate the kingdom, a preaching principle that the Lord used you to to, to share and impart in into my life is when we're sharing, we want to reveal Christ to people. He can see him and mm-hmm. remind them of his grace and just show them him. And if they get captured by his grace, then you won't be able to stop a person from following him. So it's mm-hmm. like he's, he's introducing in this, this, this new way. And because it's new, we have to repent and to enter in. And baptism, as you said, you'll get to later, is to me is, is the doorway into uh, the straight path. Five characteristics of this epic-making vessel. And he says the first one is that they know the grace of God experientially. They know that grace in their experience. They've experienced the grace of God you know, in their own lives. And, and he threads that out. I'll just give the bullet points of it. Secondly is it's a Nazarite vow. And as opposed to a priest where you're a Levite and you're born into the priesthood, there's no choice. The Nazarite voluntarily and intentionally gives themselves to the Lord. Again, I don't believe you can really do that unless you behold him and you're captured by his glory to just sacrifice everything. And John the Baptist certainly was a Nazarite. He did that of his own accord. Yes, yes. And then thirdly, they, they operate in the spirit and power of elijah you know he says because he said john the baptist when he was born was prophesied that you know he had the spirit of elijah on him so he brings out how that spirit of elijah was from first kings 19 verses 10 and verse 14 and what that is is he was zealous for the lord Mm -hmm. to secure his rights with his people and when i read that i'm like that's us insurgents like we want the lord to have what his desire is in the earth of people, a corporate people who are surrendered and zealous and giving up everything unto the Lord because he's worthy and wanting to see him have his rights in the earth. And second, the power of Elijah, he brings from James chapter 5, verses 17 through 18, how Elijah, he says, and I love it, was a human being just like us, with like passions Mm -hmm. and desires, but he prayed earnestly, and it did not rain for three and a half years. Mm. Again, to me, it not raining, especially in an agricultural economy. But even today, it shows the rule of the heavens. Because if we don't get rain, we don't get food. Okay. So the heavens provide the rain for the provision. Mm. And then fourthly, he says, is a voice. You know, uh, they're heard but not seen. They know their place in the eternal purpose. That's one of the things I love about the insurgents podcast is we're not videotaping ourselves. We're Mm -hmm. just Voices yeah. in the wilderness, <laughs> crying out for a corporate epic-making vessel. Uh, lastly, he says, they bear a full testimony. In other words, they're growing in the grace and revelation of Jesus Christ. Their desire and passion is to know the Lord deeper and deeper, and then their testimony out of the revelation of Christ continues to grow and grow. So, Brother Con yeah, Stephen, he, he makes these designations, and so we see John and I really sincerely believe as as we go through these kingdom passages and looking at John here, getting out here and laying the groundwork and the seed prayerfully, that the body of Christ will catch that message and see. It. Now, I want to make this perfectly clear. I didn't say a date that Jesus was coming back. I don't know when he's coming back. We don't know that, but we know that he wants to have a prepared people and a people who are corporately going to prepare the way and make the way straight. And those are going to be people who, as Brother Stephen brought out, some of those five characteristics that he sees in the life of John that translate over to us, a separated life that is committed to preparing the way and building up the body of Christ. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's good. And I I think it's important too to double click on that last comment you made about separation, because that's what the Nazarite vow really boiled down to. It was a tangible way wherein one could express utter total devotion and submission to the Lord. That doesn't mean that we are obligated to take the Nazarite vow. (laughs) That's a pretty stringent thing and We don't see Jesus doing it. We don't see any of the early Christians doing it. It's optional if somebody wants to actually do that, literally. But it points to and symbolizes a radical departure from the norm. And in verse 6 of the same passage, as you continue to read, we're told that he's baptizing in the Jordan. Mm -hmm. And that was a clear sign of the new thing that God was doing at that time. Jordan was the place, of course, where Israel crossed to enter into the new land, the promised land, which was a picture of the kingdom of God, Amen. the domain of heaven, the domain of God. So when John is saying the kingship of God is at hand, the heavens are getting ready to break into the earth, it's time for decisive action. This was red fire in the sky. It was a dramatic message. He was, in effect, saying God is going to return very soon, as the prophet said. Of course, (laughs) he was speaking of Jesus in fulfillment of the prophecies. Let me talk about the implications of this, because I I think it affects us today in a big way. When a person said, Jesus is Lord in the Mm -hmm. first century, they were saying that Caesar was not Lord. Amen. Which was revolutionary. That was a subversive statement. And the kingdom of God and the lordship of Jesus go hand in hand. They were saying something also. They were saying that Kratos, the god of power, is not Lord.
2: Mm.
1: They were saying Plutus, the god of wealth, is not Lord. Amen. And they were saying Aphrodite, the god of lust, is not Lord. Amen. And by the way, the near equivalent of these three gods are Eros, Which is the god of lust, Mammon, a god of wealth, and Mars, Mm. a god of war or power. Ares is also a god of war in the Greek mythology. And in 1 John chapter 2, we have these three things that are part of the world system, these three elements that are part of the world system. The lust of the flesh, well, that points to the god Aphrodite. Amen. The lust of the eyes... That points to the God of Plutus. That's materialism and covetousness. Mm. And then the pride of life. That's worldly power and ambition. That's Mm. Kratos. And so the message of the gospel of the kingdom was that Jesus is the real and true king and lord. Not Caesar and not these other false gods. Mm. And brother, we still have these gods operating today, Amen. don't we? Amen. Yes, we do. Yes, and we do. And Christians are not immune Amen. to succumbing to the seductions of those three false gods. Now, I want to break this apart a little bit more and kind of talk about how this beginning salvo that came from John the Baptist, that the kingdom of God is right at hand, it's right near the door. It's entering into the planet right now and how we can trace it all the way through the entire gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, all four gospels in the book of Acts. But before I do, I want to hand it over to you because I know you got something to say.
2: <laughs> wow, you said so much then. I was still back at the Jordan. You know, you mentioned the Jordan, he's baptizing in the Jordan and you said like, you know, the land represents Christ. It's it's symbolic pointing to Christ, Christ uh, his kingdom. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, the third day of creation, the land comes up out of the sea and the sea is the place of death in the Bible and vegetation grows. So resurrection life on the third day. And then in that land was the provision for all those things. And we just talked about mammon. Everything that you needed, provision, entertainment, protection, was all in the land, the kingdom of God, God's temple there. He's with his people. He has a people, a region that he reigns in, and he's the God then of heaven and earth. But what I really loved about, you know, before you could go into that, before you could turn into that, the repentance and baptism in the Jordan was, it takes me back to when Joshua first took the people in the land, and they put the 12 stones mm-hmm. as a memorial yes. in the Jordan. And then just that fact of a person that was a Jew, an Israelite, that already felt, hey, I've been circumcised. I'm in the covenant of Abraham. I'm a child of Abraham. What do I need to be baptized for? You know, And so how significant that was for them to show, hey, I'm dying, I am repenting, and how baptism, which is brought out beautifully in insurgents, and then there's a link to a whole article about baptism, the real meaning of baptism, yes. how it's the, the funeral. Of your old man. It's the death of that. You're, you're rising up into new life, again, to prepare yourself to be prepared for the arrival. I like that the kingdom of heaven is arriving. I guess that's a present participle since it's ING at the end. So it's presently arriving and continuing to <laughs> arrive. Right. Yeah. I mean, I love that because then that means that repentance is not just for me, just a one-time deal. Repentance is like peeling an onion in my soul as the Lord reveals, peels back a layer and shows me areas where where the world system is still influencing me mm. and where I need to repent of that peace there. And and he reveals that and then go, th- go through that process. And that's the transformation and Christ being formed in us. I, I got back there with the Jordan, I just really, how those stones were a memorial there and how John is out there, it's separated from the religious system. But I always loved how the Pharisees and Sadducees sent some men out there to say, what's he out there doing?" Yeah, and, uh, they, because all the people are going out there. They're separating away from this other system. Yes. And so, you know, as we separate from the world system, insurgents, as we do that, the religious system, also there's going to be spiritual backlash. You know, we're going to yes. get into that later on in, in another about the kingdom and persecution yes. for righteousness sake. Yes. The world system wants to replace the kingdom of God, the antichrist, yes. as I heard you and Brother Russell share in a few earlier podcasts and Mark, and I really loved how you, know, you, you brothers brought out how anti is not just against, but is in place of. Hmm. So the world system was to be in place of the kingdom. But the kingdom is has arrived and is arriving. Well, as I look at the whole passage,
1: Matthew 3, we have the picture of John. He emerges. He is the voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. And of course, he's talking about Yahweh returning. And then we have the picture of how he's dressed. which again is a huge sign of what it means to pull out of the systems of this world and enter into God's kingdom and then we have him baptizing in the Jordan which is signaling that the exile is over right and We have a new exodus with the coming of Jesus, which he's going to announce soon. And then in verse 7, he turns his guns on the Pharisees Mm. and the Sadducees. Mm. (laughs) And we'll look at that later because Jesus is going to talk about them in one of the passages we're going to explore. But here's here's sort of a summary. Something explosive is happening Mm. now. Why is it explosive? Well, the Gospels... And then the book of Acts contain the dramatic story of how the kingdom of God moves into the world and spreads. The manifestation of God's ruling presence, the alternative civilization Mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ that is sovereign, healing, justice bringing, and saving. Those are all references to what the kingdom of God is the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, what does it do? Because it is in confrontation to the powers that be, meaning Caesar and also the false gods, that message will end up getting John the Baptist beheaded, thrown in jail first and then beheaded. And as it's preached throughout the book of Acts, it causes riots just yeah. about everywhere amen why because there are other lords there are other masters there are other kings there are other power structures in the world that are threatened by yes this gospel if we just freeze the frame there and look at that and then we ask ourselves what do so many christians today believe they have a very different idea the popular idea is we'll let caesar run the world And we'll just prepare for heaven. But that wasn't the message of the kingdom. That wasn't the message of the New Testament. That's right. When the disciples asked Jesus in the beginning of Acts, Is it now time to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were suffering as God's people at the hands of the pagans. But now Jesus is resurrected, which they didn't expect. And so they're thinking, okay, so now's the time where you're going to put down all the pagan rulers. (laughs) And what is Jesus' response? He didn't say, well, just forget about the story of Israel and just forget about the message of the kingdom. Just tell people to believe in me and they'll go to heaven. They'll be saved and go to heaven. There really is nothing in the book of Acts about going to heaven. Now, the heavenly realm, (laughs) certainly when a person dies they're going to pierce through the veil if they're saved, if they have Christ in them, Mm. right? And they will be with the Lord. But heaven is coming to earth. Hallelujah. Heaven is coming to earth. That was the prayer of Jesus, right? On earth as it is in heaven. And then we see the new Jerusalem at Mm. the very end of the Mm. book. Where is it coming? It's descending on the earth. And God will create a new heaven and a new earth. So in response to the question, Will you restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? Jesus' answer, his answer is a coded yes. He says, you will receive power. You will be authorized. And as you go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, the very message that I preached, Jesus was in effect saying, there will emerge communities of the king that will express what it looks like when God is king, when God is running the earth. And so that's what it looked like for God to restore the kingdom to Israel. Not that Israel would be the top nation beating on the Gentiles. (laughs) That wasn't wasn't the point. It looked like 12, then 120, then 3,000, then 5,000, then multitudes. And they were meeting together and having close-knit community under the new kingship Of Jesus of Nazareth and the Apostles were going out telling the whole world that there's another King and his name is Jesus. It looked like people living together in community, taking care of one another, loving one another, having a life together where there was justice and equity and the hills being leveled and balance being expressed, taking care of one another financially, economically, emotionally, spiritually, and then traveling to places they've never been to, hmm. speaking to pagan priests Amen. and philosophers Amen. and Jewish leaders. I'm speaking of the apostolic workers. And terrible things happened and extraordinary things happened. But this is what it looks like when God claims the world as his own and his own kingdom, which is in heaven, comes to earth. And that. It's really the story of the book of Acts. And I'll just add another word about heaven and earth. Heaven and earth overlap and interlock. You know, they're not billions of miles apart. They're two interlocking spheres of God's created reality, which is good. Plato's dualism separated the two. That's where the secular spiritual divide came into being. It was adopted around the fourth century by the Christians. That's where you also had the dichotomy of clergy, laity, Mm -hmm. and so forth. But the point of the ascension of Jesus Christ is that heaven and earth are joined together, and Jesus is both at home in heaven and on earth. Remember, he was a creature of both realms when he lived on the earth. And in his ascension, they are joined together and they would never be separated. He has a renewed body heaven and earth came together in the temple. That's why when you looked at the temple, there were echoes of the Garden of Eden inside the temple. Amen. Because it was showing that we were going back to the garden and the garden was an overlap of the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. Those two spheres intersected. And in Jesus himself, who is called the temple and the tabernacle Amen. in the opening chapters of John, heaven and earth overlap and interlock. He is the reality of the temple. Mm. And that reality was passed on when the ecclesia was born, the kingdom community, and so Denzel, a true expression of the body of Christ, it is the body of Christ of Jesus on the earth, is an interlocking of heaven and earth on this planet. Yeah, it is an overlap of the two. You have both heaven and earth operating, being expressed and being encountered and experienced right here on this fallen planet. So the temple in that way was a signpost
2: pointing to Jesus and his Ecclesia. What say you? Well, first I I just want to piggyback on what you were just saying how how Jesus is the embodiment, if you will, uh, of heaven and earth at the same time. Mm. You know, he's in the earth. He's also... Engaging in heaven, mm-hmm. and so John three thirteen says, uh, and no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended out of heaven, the Son of Man, then comma who is in heaven, yeah, at the same so, moment. So you, you read that a couple times. Well, wait a second. He's in mm-hmm. Jerusalem right now talking to Nicodemus, but he's also saying he's in heaven at the same moment, which yes. is a part of as the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. We have that same inheritance, that same peace, to be able to, in both places, to pray our prayers from our royal priesthood seat from heaven. Mm -hmm. And so in Colossians 3, one of my favorite verses was always, Set your mind on things above. Mm. You know, set your mind on things above. And, and so this clash, if you will, of kingdoms, unfortunately, my experience in the church, if you will, I said that on purpose, and I usually use ecclesia, mm-hmm. is that it's more earthly, and we are a heavenly people. Mm-hmm. And so the insurgents, the insurgents podcast and, and the kingdom that that we are we are citizens of that kingdom. Paul said in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. Mm. We are a heavenly people that Nazareth Valley said, you know, just that separated life that I'm a heavenly person. I'll say that these days and the first pushback I'll get, from believers is oh don't be so heavenly minded you're no earthly good <laughs> and and my piece is like well first that's not scripture but then secondly is I cannot be any earthly good unless I am heavenly exactly. minded exactly and. That's it. In the kingdom, the kingdom of God has invaded the earth, if you will. So when we're going to share and hit that opposition, because as we go out, we're going to face this opposition to us sharing the gospel of the heavens, the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God, making those paths straight. We're also going to have to be discerning and aware of how those ways, those straight waves have been perverted. And call people to repentance. Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? First Peter four seventeen says, "Judgment begins in the house, in the ecclesia." And I really feel a strong, poor urgency in my spirit for uh, for us to really get this message out here and, and bring that to be that corporate epic-making vessel to be. Those people who are proclaiming the kingdom, understanding the cost up front, but again, back again to behold when you behold Him, mm. and just the beauty of Christ, and just all the the unfathomable riches of His grace, and, and I love that because I used to be a Sherlock Holmes fan growing up as a kid, mm. and watching when we always say that's unfathomable, Sherlock, <laughs> and just the riches, the depths, and will never exhaust the depths of his grace, Mm. coming back, repenting, coming back to this kingdom of God, proclaiming the kingdom of God, that message, and as you bring out an insurgence, not just the kingdom of salvation, not the kingdom of of legalism or libertinism, but this message that John the Baptist preached to inaugurate, that Jesus preached, that Paul preached, that Peter preached, that was preached, we need the restoration of that message. And it is being restored. And that's the exciting thing. That's what
1: the insurgence is. But again, as I put it in the book, before you preach it, you must experience it. Amen. And that's what these podcast episodes are designed to do, is to bring you into the good of the gospel of the kingdom and to be able to see the Lord in a new and fresh and powerful and riveting way. This is the whole reason why I opened the book. I decided to open up Insurgents, not by talking about what the actual gospel of the kingdom was, Mm. but by talking about what it wasn't, and then showing the king's beauty. Because without that, then any effort to surrender our lives to him, to give him full allegiance, and all that it implies, is going to be coming out of a place of guilt or condemnation or fear or obligation, right? It's not going to be coming out of a natural response to his beauty. But as you said, Jesus is the place where heaven and earth come together. Mm. And the community of the king bears witness to it. And heaven is coming to earth, first and foremost, through the ecclesia. The ecclesia, as God intended, is the vanguard. It's the advanced sign, tangible, visible sign that the kingdom of heaven is, in fact, invading the earth. When you have that going on, a clash with human authorities is inevitable. You know, the early Christians, when you look carefully at the book of Acts... They weren't looking for trouble. Like You just quoted what Paul said to someone who was in power, right? Mm-hmm. When the gospel puts its finger on human authority, we must obey God and not man. Paul and the other apostles were not afraid to speak to power.
2: Amen.
1: Jesus is Lord, so the governing authorities are accountable to him. Yes. It is appropriate to say, as Paul did with the Philippian magistrates, you are rulers and authorities. God puts you in this position, but you're not doing your job. And you're accountable to this world's true Lord. And this is what got John the Baptist put in jail and beheaded. Because he told Herod, you claim to be the king of Israel, but you are acting completely contrary to that by living in a pattern of immorality. And so basically, it was the gospel of the kingdom that got John killed, yeah. right? Amen. Because he was pointing yes. to the fact that Herod had that position of power, but he was not acting in accordance with the claim that he was Israel's king. So it was more than just pointing out something that was immoral. There was a political, from a kingdom perspective, issue at stake here. And this is one of the things that happens when God's people are truly submitting to the lordship and kingship of Jesus together corporately. They begin to preach the gospel of the kingdom. It will, when that message is really brought forth in a clear way that is in line with how it was presented in the New Testament, it does make Earthly authorities, whether they're religious authorities or political authorities or anywhere in between, it will make and it does make them nervous and on edge. The mere message, you know, again, I get back to this. Paul was not going around to the Roman Empire saying, Hey, I've got some fire insurance here, (laughs) and y'all are going to die, and I want you to go to heaven. That's not going to trouble anybody. You're not going to have a riot break out because of that, right? Mm -hmm. And again, we're not saying that there's not eternal life. There is eternal life. Eternal life, however, begins now. Yes. And when we pass into the other world, and we move from this realm to that realm, we will be with the Lord wherever He is. Right? There's an excellent chance that the moment we die, time is gone mm. and we appear with him.
2: Amen.
1: And we have what we call the second coming. Yes, And that's where we're going to be. Mm. Right, That's possible. Yes. Or if it's a waiting place where we're with the Lord in the heavens, awaiting his return, we come back to the earth. Amen. <laughs> that's, Amen. So heaven Amen. comes back to the yes, earth we come and the kingdom earth. takes over the entire world. The good yes. earth that God created, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, which we'll talk about in a future episode. But that's all I have to say about this passage. It's quite amazing that we have spoken this long on three verses um, (laughs) in the book of
2: Matthew. Do you you have anything you want to add to close this out? It's all dependent upon that revelation, seeing Christ. It really helps me see Paul's heart as an apostle, Mm -hmm. shepherd. When he prays, in Ephesians 1 he's, he's just writing one of the longest sentences in the Bible from like verses 3 to 14 and then he just breaks out in a prayer that you would have God will give you a spirit of understanding wisdom and revelation mm. knowledge of his inheritance in the saints you know who we are as mm. his inheritance and then in Galatians 1 and 4 when he says about Jesus he gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us out of this present evil mm. age according to the will of the God and Father. So if he's rescued me, you, Frankie V, and the other insurgents on here, and mm. others maybe who haven't been rescued yet, but yes. you're hearing this, and the Holy Spirit is opening up your eyes to see that, he came to rescue you, yes, us, from out of this present world system. Why? Because the kingdom of heavens is near. It's arriving. It's here. So the gateway or the doorway into that kingdom is repentance and then baptism or burial or death. Because why would I have to live by my old natural life if I've been rescued out of this natural realm Hmm. and I'm in the kingdom? Now I need for the Lord and then in ecclesia in community with other believers to share the Lord with one another to learn how to eat and drink of Christ, so that Christ can be more formed in us, that we are, as Frankie V was saying earlier, that visible representation, manifestation of the invisible God in the earth, the body of Christ. And yes, the kingdom of God is near, it's here, it's arriving, so repent and get ready. The baptism piece, you had mentioned it before,
1: the supplemental article is on the website that is in the book, Insurgents. There's a number of supplemental articles that I just couldn't fit in the book, (laughs) but it's called Rethinking Water Baptism. and, And it points out that the response to the gospel message all throughout is repent, believe, and be baptized. And often, believe is used as a synonym for baptism. So sometimes the word is repent and be baptized. Other times it's repent and believe. But always you have them going to the water and breaking that loyalty oath with Caesar and the gods and entering into a new community and a new relationship because they're now part of a new creation. Hallelujah. (laughs) Which is the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Which is already... But not yet. But not yet. And, you know, the way I see John the Baptist proclaiming the gospel is Jesus is right there. He's right around the corner. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's arriving. And here he is. Mm-hmm. The king is here. Mm-hmm. But even in Jesus' ministry, there's a future aspect and a present aspect. And I think it was George Eldon Ladd who was probably among the first—he may have been the first— to make clear the dual aspect of the kingdom. That it's already, but not yet. That it's today, but it's also tomorrow. That within the the nature of the kingdom, it's present, but it's also future.
2: Yeah.
1: And we live in the presence of the yes. future. We live yes. in the good of the kingdom, even though the full manifestation is not yet arrived. And we'll be looking at all of
2: this... In the coming episodes, please uh, don't throw stones at me. I, I, went, to, I went to seminary. Y'all hear me? <laughs> yeah, I went to yeah. seminary. I uh, went up as far as D Men candidate. Vision is bringing the future into the present. Mm. That's what a vision is. You, you cast a vision, mm. and that vision is something that you want to see in the future, but you want to bring it into the present. And so that vision of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the heavens, it's it's future, but it's present. And we want to bring it into the present and we can experience it when we get into community of ecclesias who have gotten that revelation. Well, on that beautiful note, we're going to end and we will see you
1: next time in the next episode. And again, if you're new to the podcast, go back and do a little binging so that you're up to speed. We have been looking at every reference To the kingdom in the gospels and we're going to continue with matthew in our next show amen god bless bless y'all
0: if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the insurgents podcast and give it a five-star review on itunes this will help others find it Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.